Climate change is the apocalypse of the 21st century. If the AOCs and the Neil deGrasse Tysons of the world are to be believed, climate change is going to kill us all, and it is mankind's own fault. But what is the validity of this claim? What is the real truth behind climate change? Welcome to Quirks of Creation. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Quirks of Creation. I'm your host, Jess Holmes, and joining me, as always, is Elise. Me! Yay! Hi, Jess. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's so good to be here on a Friday again. It's so good. I love it. We're back to normal. <laughs> as normal as normal can be. As normal as we get, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for this topic, and I can't wait to hear about it. Before we get started... I just want to give a big shout out, first of all, to Hicktown Honey for making us get a Discord. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it so much. It's been so much fun, and it's just a really cool way to connect and chat with everybody when we're not on air, and it's a lot more, it feels even more like family when we're all in there talking and chatting and getting cool ideas. So if you haven't joined our Discord yet, do it. Yes, I am. If it'll load, I will drop the Discord link. Or if any of our folks in the chat who I know are here, because I see you, will drop the link as well. Let's get everybody here who's on Rumble tonight. And if you're just here listening, click that Discord link below because that's where everything is happening. That's where the family is. And that's where we share things like memes that get shown on the show. Yes. So. All the good memes, all the good ideas, all this like, I don't know, just extra. And it's super fun. And I've been really enjoying it. So thank you, honey. (laughs) Big shout out to Hicktown, honey. Yes. Um, Any announcements that we have before we... Uh, also a big shout out to our newest locals member D Keith S. Thank you so much for joining our locals community. So we have our discord community. That's like family. But if you come over to locals, that's where we have bonus content, uh, like our quirks or quacks episode. We uploaded the live stream or watch party for ancient apocalypse. Yeah. Cause we got kicked off YouTube for that. So definitely hop on over there too if you want the extra content we got kicked off of youtube twice and i take that as like a badge of honor like check we we nailed it we did it i don't know (laughs) not that i want to go all out but at the same time it's like i know that they don't like what we have to say all the time and we've we are still in the process of like trying to do what we were doing before with um, our new streaming service. So right. everything still is on YouTube, correct? Like our whole- Yeah, everything's still yeah. there, but we're not monetized on YouTube and no. we don't need to be because we have Rumble. Exactly. So we're not limiting what we have to say. We're not, we don't really care. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> I appreciate everybody there watching. Don't get me wrong. For sure. 
Just I know uh, Asha's Heartless is often over there. Yes. We love it when Asha's Heartless comes. And anyone else who watches us on YouTube, we absolutely appreciate your support. Yes. But you should come over to Rumble instead. Yeah. We speak more freely. We get to speak more freely and not have to worry about being kicked off. And the chat afterwards is super fun. I always enjoy that part of our episode, too. too. So, yeah. yeah. And they're super not going to like tonight's episode. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because climate change, that's yeah. not a hot topic. Hot. <laughs> Pun intended. Oh. <laughs> Here they come. Here, this is going to be a night for jokes and a night for numbers and a night for real truth. I mean, my handle on Twitter is real truth cactus for a reason. Because tonight's episode is going to make everyone uncomfortable, whether you lean to the left or to the right. I'm just here with the facts. Whether you <laughs> like it or not, Sorry. It is what it is. It's as prickly as a cactus. So that's right. I love that. Yeah. So let's jump into it. I'm let's excited to in. learn. If you ever had to take an environmental science class in public high school, or you've had the misfortune of listening to NPR for more than five seconds, God rest your soul. Uh, you know what climate change is, but just in case you've been living in a bunker for the last 30 years. Here's what it is, or at least here is uh, what I will say, the mainstream definition of climate change. Perfect. Um, so what, what the mainstream scientists want us to believe is that climate change is referring to this long-term shift in temperature and weather patterns. And these shifts can be due to natural causes like changes in sun activity, like solar flares, uh, changes in the Earth's rotation and tilt, or tilt. The words are hard. <laughs> um, a new thing. All right. We're just trying to make it cool. Rita sent us a great meme the other day that's like Chad, dragon, reading. I can read. I'm the master of reading. And then talking is like, Meh. yeah, that, that's a good, a good <laughs> sum up. <laughs> yeah, that's so good for podcasters. I right. But anyway, yeah, so there's natural variations in temperature because of natural phenomena, like even large volcanic eruptions can cause it. Right. Since the 1800s, since the Industrial Revolution, human <laughs> activities supposedly have been the main driver of climate change. And this is attributed primarily to the burning of fossil fuels. <laughs> it's all your fault. It, it's all our fault. I like what Arvolt says, anthropogenic climate change is a cryptid. We'll get into it. Oh, I like it. Get um, ahead of us. He is, but stay with me. Because yeah. and it's like, how, how is burning gas, how is driving my car causing the earth to catch on fire? The idea is, is that whenever you have a combustion reaction, when you take a hydrocarbon complex, you react it with oxygen gas, it produces the same two compounds every time, carbon dioxide and water. And the big one they don't like is carbon dioxide. I mean, technically water is also a greenhouse gas. They both go into the atmosphere. They both absorb sunlight. They both act like a, they're a big old blanket wrapping around the earth, <laughs> trapping in that heat. It's just water doesn't stay in the atmosphere as long because it comes back down as rain. Right. Whereas carbon dioxide does not. It stays there. Well, it stays there, but I then know. it's it's turned around and used in photosynthesis by plants yes. and like phytoplankton, things like that. 
that is the carbon cycle basically. And we'll get into the finer details of the carbon cycle as we go through some of this, but that's the ideas are driving our cars and using fossil fuels is putting all of the CO2 into the atmosphere, which is getting trapped and it's warming the planet up. Oh no. (laughs) So with the CO2 like blanket, right. Sun can still come in. Correct. It just gets trapped. It can't go back out. So that is that it, that's essentially kind of? it it's uh the sunlight is coming in and it's being it is reflected up but because of the way the carbon oxygen double bond works it reflects reflects that sunlight back down it's actually pretty important because if we didn't have carbon dioxide in the atmosphere our planet would be too cold right so we need some carbon there's dioxide. a good there's a good amount and then yeah. there's too much. Like, like so many like so of many God's things. creations, yeah. the earth is very fine-tuned to have a very nice atmosphere. There's a reason life can be sustained here. I would definitely love to do an episode on all of the fine-tuning things that go on here on earth. That'd be it, awesome. That'd be like a series. Right. Yeah. <laughs> be a whole season. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so if... Our cars are pumping all of that up. It's, it's bad news. According to the UN, thousands of scientists and government reviewers agreed that limiting global temperature rise to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. For us normal people, that's 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Thank you. This would avoid the worst climate impacts and maintain a livable climate. These are our serious faces. The serious journalism. Seriousness. Serious. Seriously. Yeah, current policies in place point to a 2.8 degrees Celsius. That's 5.04 degrees Fahrenheit. Temperature rise at the end of the century. You guys get the idea. Um, (laughs) Comparatively speaking, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the Younger Dryas period. That temperature increase after the Clovis Comet impact was predicted to have been between 9 and 14 degrees Celsius. That's 16.2 and 25.2 degrees Fahrenheit. So for like context, that's the yeah. difference between 80 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit increase for the younger dry ass. And for global warming, it's like between 70 and 72. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> that's not to say <laughs> that gradual temperature increase is not important because it can have a cascading effect like we saw with the younger driest period. I I know I'm being like kind of hyperbolic and funny, um, but there's a grain of truth here, right? On the one hand, like we saw with the younger driest period, we saw the melting of the Laurentide ice sheets, the Greenland ice sheets that dumped huge amounts of cold, cold water into the earth's oceans and caused massive sea level rise all at once because it was as a result of the comet impact. Very drastic. Very yeah, dramatic. Cataclysmic, you might yes. say. Oh, that doesn't happen. I'm crazy. That stuff doesn't happen. But if we're talking about an incremental increase, a one to two degree increase, the ice caps will slowly melt. Right. That's not untrue. Right. And that's still making a dent. I mean, still making a difference in 
temperature, obviously, with the water ice going into the melted ice, still making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So the concern for sea level rise is understandable. It wouldn't be as drastic as we saw with the Younger Dryas period. It would be a much more gradual change, almost uniformitarian, one might say. Oh, Mm -hmm. Um, it's actually kind of not because like we were talking about (laughs) that carbon dioxide accumulates in the atmosphere and it's not a linear trend. It's not like water, it goes up, it comes back down pretty quick. Uh, As it accumulates in the atmosphere, it's more logarithmic. It's going to continue to accumulate over time because we're taking long-term carbon storage, that fossil fuel out of the ground and basically injecting it into the atmosphere. That's not something that would happen naturally. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I, I like to make jokes, but I, I can see where their kernel of truth is. Right. Um, some other effects we saw besides temperature increase from the Younger Dryas were things like mass extinction events, uh, increased storms in co- coastal areas, the exacerbation of droughts and wildfires. Uh, this one, again, is attributed more to temperature increase. Um, but what sure. goes up must eventually come down again like we saw with the Younger Dryas, as all that cold ice water is being dumped into the ocean that caused rapid cooling of the oceans. And that's what ultimately led to the cooling period we know as the Younger Dryas. And that's how we got the cycle of ice ages. Right. Burr. (laughs) Yeah, burr. (laughs) So again, uh, I just wanted to lay out for everyone what the claims were. And based on our cursory study of the Younger Dryas and the previous warming period, I can at least understand where they're coming from. I'm not saying it's doomsday, but I think perhaps the claim at least has small logic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's still some concern there and things to be considerate of. Right. But then the question is like, who even thought to think the thought (laughs) of the thought? Who came up with this crap? Right. (laughs) Who walked outside and said, it's too hot out here. It must be mankind's fault. It's all our fault. It's all our fault. And it all started with a dude named Guy Callender. Nice. Nice name. Nice name. It sounds like (laughs) a pseudonym, right? It does. Uh, with a name like that, you got to do something. You got to. You know, that's got to be put in the books for something. I don't know. Well, he's put in the books for uh, going around and <laughs> taking temperatures of random places. Why not? Like you do. Like, yeah. Who, who wouldn't find that fun? Yeah. I just like to go outside, <laughs> lick my fingers, stick it up and go. It's too hot around these parts. <laughs> Nobody does that? Nobody? No? No, no, no. just me. Oh, whoops. <laughs> so that was his, like, he just did that as a hobby? Started. It, he literally just did it as a hobby because he, w- he had no background in weather, geology. He was working for the British Electrical and Allied Industries Research Association, researching batteries and fuel cells. 
in the uh, 1930s. Yeah, there's a connection. S- Not, such a good connection. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you don't know what to talk to people about, you talk about the weather. If you don't know what hobby you want, you just have a hobby about the weather. <laughs> to be I don't know. fair, I don't want to be like too hard on him for having like a weird hobby because Einstein kind of did the same thing. I mean, he worked at a patent office True. and then discovered the theory of special relativity. So sometimes your personal passions can be like important to mankind or something. Yeah, it's weird. Weird. Yeah. I think Mar- – didn't Mark Twain have something along those lines? Like he always oh, yeah. had really weird jobs, but then he wrote these amazing books and you're just, he was like, yeah, that was kind of what inspired me. <laughs> like the mundane – Right. Let my mind just wander. See, don't, don't ever feel bad about having a mundane job because yeah. that just opens you up to excellence. That's, that's exactly it. You never know though. Uh, you don't. Obviously. Right. Yeah. You just have to have really quirky interests. Yeah. You're in the right place. Welcome. Yay. <laughs> uh, so Mr. Calendar. Yeah. I love him. And his temperature readings. Yeah. So he was influenced by the work of mathematician Jean-Baptiste Joseph Fourier, who besides developing the Fourier transform that I had to learn about in calculus, thanks a lot. Um <laughs> He hypothesized that, kind of like what we talked about earlier, the Earth is too far away from the sun to be as warm it is, as it is. Hmm. So he was the first one to notice that perhaps we should be much colder than we are. I think my camera's being weird. Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you. Yeah. It's like, you're a little fuzzy. Not bad. I love it when my camera's being weird and not focusing nice. on me. Focus. Focus, camera. Focus. We weren't talking about you and your mundane job, camera. We were talking about brilliant people. Stop. And their mundane jobs. Yes. <laughs> I like what Nana C says. She's like, if you utilize the time to really think, that's the trick. That is the trick. I think that's the, that's the secret sauce there. Like, <laughs> you do have to. Right. You do have to use your brain. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. So this guy, Fourier, realized that the Earth was a little bit too warm. You also had physicist John Tyndall, who recognized the greenhouse effect, which was novel for the time. And then you've got Savant Arrhenius, uh, besides being the chemist who discovered Arrhenius acids, first predicted that changes in atmospheric carbon dioxide could alter the surface temperatures through the greenhouse effect. So these are basically the shoulders of the people that Calendar is standing on. And he took these ideas and went everywhere to like 147 different weather stations and started getting data. So here's his first piece of data. Awesome graph. Love it. (laughs) Basically, he figured out that global temperatures had risen by 0.3 degrees Celsius over the previous 50 years. And he he just figured this out by taking the data that these weather stations had collected since they were erected. So basically since the late 1800s. And okay, you that is a small increase, but it's not nothing. Right. Right. Yeah, it's not drastic, but it is going up. Right. Slowly. 
Yeah. Sorry, my camera is like super annoying me right now. I know. No, Nana, see, it's not a smart camera. <laughs> it is not. It's a dumb camera. <laughs> Focus on me. That's right. I am right here. Can you there see you me? Ah, you I just had there to get are. close to it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's your face. Okay, oh, got it. Hi, here I am. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he did all this. And this gave way to my guy, Charles David Keeling who decided to compare the temperature to the amounts of carbon dioxide in the air. So he was the first one who kind of, so Foyer noticed that the planet was warm. Tyndall recognized the greenhouse effect and Keeling was like, hmm. <laughs> two and two. A plus B equals C question mark. Hmm. Nice way to put those together. Right. Maybe. Uh, and, this is the thing. It's like no one had ever tried to measure atmospheric CO2 before. So it's like, yeah, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't even know how you do it today. So, right. <laughs> he basically designed his own equipment and went to a weather station in Hawaii and started meticulously taking measurements over the course of many, many years. And that is the state I would probably choose to go to as well. Definitely Hawaii, where there's lots of volcanoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely where I'd go. Yes, yes. Not because it's tropical and amazing. Right. It's for science. It's definitely for not science. for fun. Ironically <laughs> enough, uh, Hawaii and like Greenland are, or Iceland are some of the most popular places for scientists to go to do like big research, hmm. especially like environmental scientists. Smart. Go Just to the places smart. with extreme weather. <laughs> yes, that's it. No. Okay. Uh, but this was his uh, first plot <clears throat> that he came up with. And I'm actually excited to go through some of the Keeling data because he really did take some very meticulous research. Um, so I'll show you guys the second day. Uh, graph because this is looking at a one day period. So 24 hours in Hawaii, there was a little volcanic action, but hmm. notice after just a couple of hours, that CO2 peak goes right back down to normal levels gotcha. within the same 24 hour period. So even with volcanic activity affecting the atmosphere, the he, it kind of balances yeah. itself out. It heals itself, if you will, not heals, but. It, it does figure its own yeah. life out, basically. Now, he didn't indicate as to how big of, all, of a volcanic eruption this was. Was it a Mount St. Helen? Was it a... I doubt it was a Mount right. Vesuvius because we would have it in the history books. Right. Um, so, it, yeah, it was like probably that. like Sorry. a burp. Yeah, a volcanic burp. <laughs> so, like, small ones tend to sort themselves out pretty quickly. Sure. And then this one I like the most because this is over two-year period. The top one is one year and the second one is another year. And you notice this same sine curve in like both graphs. Yes. It's like, and you can see the x-axis is labeled the month. So in the months January through August, the CO2 levels are rising. And then the end of August through September and December – they kind of go back down. Mm -hmm. And so the CO2 levels peak in May just before plants 
in the temperate northern hemisphere put on leaves and then that reaches its minimum in the summer growing months when they're doing the most photosynthesis. Oh. Connection? Yes. Yes. That's awesome. It is so cool. I love that. And as people have collected data, this is what we now call the modern day Keeling curve. You see it looks like a zigzag trending up and this logarithmic swoop. The zigzags are the seasons. The up is right before the growing period and the down is when there's lots of photosynthesis. So they never stopped collecting data ever since Keeling was doing his work. But you do see a general trend of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. And that trend is, generally speaking, going up. Right. Rising. Right. It's on the rise. It's on the rise. (laughs) Hmm. That's, yeah. That's interesting. I have, I'm going to wait, though. I have three. That is one uh, you have to study a lot in environmental science. Because it's like, this is it. This is the evidence for climate change right co2 is going up man and right they're not wrong i, w- I will say <laughs> that they're not wrong okay so wh- whatever you think the co2 is coming from whether the co2 is natural or whether it's because of human influence the co2 levels are in fact rising so what yeah who cares Right, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. And how does it compare to our past, like our ancient past? Uh, This does relate to ice core data. So the way they try and figure out the ancient past data is like we talked about previously. They slowly melt ice cores and analyze the chemicals that come from the ice cores specifically the amount of carbon dioxide and this is the part where i start to feel a little icky because they correlate the amount of co2 in the ice cores to global temperatures gotcha it doesn't seem very sturdy logic there right because you can't possibly know the ancient temperatures. They can only be inferred based on that CO2 concentration. And you're assuming that CO2 is the only thing impacting those ancient temperatures. Right. Right. There's a lot you don't know. There's a lot of inferences here. Right. And how do we know that our current tech is very accurate at analyzing those things? Again, another assumption. We assume that is true for most scientific things, but just a thing to keep in mind because even as early or recent as 2004, temperature data has had corrections. So Mm. just recognize that as science evolves, so do our techniques. Right. Makes sense. So, all the CO2 in the atmosphere, who cares? <laughs> I, I dump stuff into my local stream. I don't actually, but th- this is what I know conservatives are going to say, right? Go out in your backyard and burn a tire. Who cares? Do it. <clears throat> but have you ever had a tire burning party? I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. I'm sure it smells great. So good. Yeah, it's my favorite smell. All of that plastic just getting up in my lungs. Mmm, delicious. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> but what's the evidence that it's man-made? Right. Right. 
Um, and I, I think maybe we should start with the carbon cycle when we talk about this. Have you ever seen a picture of the carbon cycle before? I don't think so. So here's what it looks like. I love this picture. Oh, it's cute. It is cute. It's got a little cow on it. cow. I've been holding back just like shouting out cow every five seconds. Like, (laughs) oh, don't do it. (laughs) Methane is also a greenhouse gas. Yes. It's all the cow's fault. We'll just blame them. Yep. Stupid cows. So basically, we got this CO2 in the atmosphere. The plants absorb it for photosynthesis. They make glucose. The cow eats the plant. We eat the cow. Everybody dies. They go into the dirt and decompose and decompose some more. And then they get turned into fossil fuels. And then we take it out. We burn it. We put it back in the atmosphere. Um, Basically. Right. But circle of life. The circle of life. Here's a more complicated version of that same graph, which is too tiny to even contemplate, which takes in a lot more things like... Carbon dioxide being stored in the oceans and like seashells and things like that. So carbon goes through a lot. There are two different carbon sinks. There's short-term storage like in our bodies and like in plant cells. And then there's a long-term storage, which is the buried carbon di- that is in the fossil fuels, basically. Fossil fuels, yeah. Right. <clears throat> our storage so, unit. Yeah. It's our, our, our big battery yeah. buried down in the earth. Yeah. And so here's the argument proposed by environmentalists. We are dredging up this long-form carbon storage from underneath the earth and introducing it to the short-form carbon storage, that it wouldn't have been there otherwise. And because we've offset the natural balance, now there's more atmospheric carbon dioxide than there would have been contributing to the greenhouse effect in history. So, yeah. That's what they say. That's what they say. (laughs) And then... Me and like most conservatives turn around and say, well, what about volcanoes? Like, what about the Mount St. Helens of the world? And there is no question that the volcanoes have an impact on temperature. But it actually kind of depends on the volcano and the type of eruption as to whether volcanoes have a warming effect or a cooling effect. Volcanoes are not all the same. No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) They're not all the same. That's crazy. I know, right? real, though. Yeah. Like, for real, for real. Yeah, for real. I would have just assumed, like, a volcano erupts, depending on how big or small. Like, Right? It depends on how small the particulate matter that they're putting into the atmosphere is. And (laughs) the ratio of that particulate matter to the amount of gas that is being put into the atmosphere. Because, believe it or not, particulate matter reflects sunlight. So it can reflect it back out of the atmosphere. And this is especially true with particulate matter that is really, really small, like less than 10 microns can get in your lungs type of small. So it's not like those big ash flakes that are floating down. It is like teeny tiny will be suspended in the atmosphere for years and years and years. Crazy. I know, right? Yeah, such a small thing to have such a big impact. I love it. Right. And so (laughs) volcanoes can actually cool the earth after eruption if they're ejecting lots of this small particulate matter. So they kind of cancel themselves out. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
It's like somebody designed this. Right. <laughs> to balance it all out. That's just weird. It is so weird. But then there's the thing. It's like, well, okay. We can't blame volcanoes for the trend in carbon dioxide rise. Dang it. <laughs> I know. Okay. So. <laughs> so still looking like it's my fault. Got it. <laughs> it's all your fault, Elise. It's Specifically still all my fault. You. Yes. Specifically you. Um, so here's just like a super tiny graph that I know nobody can see, um, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. Yes. That basically shows all of the different ways carbon gets used up. So you have long-term storage, right, that has practically no risk of reversal, and then that temporary CO2 we talked about earlier. Um, okay. And then here are the numbers. Here's our first look at the numbers. So yearly CO2 emitters are global volcanic emissions emit 0.26 billion metric tons of CO2 per year, give or take. And then this is all stuff I got from the EPA website. Take that as you will. Uh, they say anthropogenic or human-made carbon dioxide from fuel combustion is averages out to be 32.3 billion metric tons per year. It's a bit. It's a bit. That's a bit. <laughs> if we compare this to like big emission events for <clears throat> volcanoes like Mount St. Helens, Mount St. Helens, in its one event emitted 0 0.01 <laughs> billion metric tons. It's a little bit of a difference. Mount Pinatubo, uh, the 1991 volcanic eruption emitted 0 0.05. So... Volcanoes don't do that much, comparatively speaking. Gotcha. <laughs> just so you know. Just, just so you see the numbers. <laughs> right. Wow. That's, uh, and I guess when it's all concentrated in one place. Right. You know, you think of like the emissions from vehicles and stuff like spread out, it's all over. And then you have a volcano erupt. Again, that concentrated, you would, it right. makes it seem bigger. It's still big, it's still big. But. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not small. Yeah. But the impact it has is not as widely distributed as the burning of fossil fuels is. Right. According to this. But according to this, again, according to the data that they've pulled up. Yep. All right. Um, so uh, how do they come up with the numbers for the modeling was my next question that mm. I had. Yep. Uh, so here is a really cool animation I found of how, all of the different factors that go into some of their CO2 calculations. So you have aerosols, which we talked about volcanic aerosols reflecting light back out of the atmosphere. They have a decreasing temperature effect, right? So they actually take away temperature from their calculations. Same thing for volcanoes, mm -hmm. land use, my understanding of land use is like, okay, we're using it for agriculture. It, oh. It's not as cooling as I thought it would be. I would figure if we plant lots of trees, there's going to be a lot of photosynthesis. Right. So you would think that would take lots of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Um, but apparently we don't plant enough or something. Mm. Mm. Solar radiation naturally brings it up, as yep. you would expect. Right. Uh, ozone, so... 
there's two different types of ozone. There's stratospheric ozone, which we need to protect us from UV, UV radiation. Yeah. Yeah, the bad UV radiation. Right. But then there's tropospheric ozone. And that is ozone that doesn't go as high in the atmosphere. It lingers around in our level of the atmosphere. So we would breathe it in. And it's, first of all, it's not good for us, right? Mm-hmm. It's not good for us to breathe it in. It's associated with all kinds of health problems. Um, but on the other hand, it can uh, contribute to some of that warming effect because it is an oxygen, oxygen double bond. So... It contributes just a little bit. And this is just like the overall naturally observed CO2. And then, of course, their line for the greenhouse gases. Which is the highest. So if you're not, if you're just listening, that she did it in order. So like the cooling and just as it rises up. The trees, that one really sticks with me. Yes, first of all, I would have thought the same as you. Like it would have cooled things down more. But it's pretty straight line for the most part yeah it's like the tiniest fluctuate tiniest like uh, if i go to 1850 uh, yeah this graph is hard to like balance my cursor on because it wants to be on everything it takes 0.01 degrees from the atmosphere in 1850 and today or around 2016 it's the most recent addition so this isn't even yeah. Up to date, relatively speaking, right? Um, 0.08 temperature decrease. So I guess if you think about it, we actually have planted quite a few trees. Yay. If we've had that much of a change since 1850. <clears throat> yeah. But so, yeah. again, in comparison, that, that one's like the steadiest and everything else is right. from there pretty much increasing. Um, so you can... So, I don't know about you. Just like looking at that graph to me was like, I don't feel like it tells me anything. No. <laughs> no. It's what I would expect for the most part. Right. It's Maybe like, but, but how do you know, you know, when, yeah. how do you get the data for those lines? How do you get these calculations? Like, how, 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 you know, because I'm a science nerd and I want to know how. Yeah. Explain it to me. <laughs> um, so I read tons of research articles because I'm an absolute geek and all the researchers claim that they are using data from the simple statistical model uh, adapted from the global warming index and uncertainties in total human and total natural temperature responses was estimated using a Monte Carlo analysis of 200 different forcing series, blah, blah, blah. They're using statistics. I'm like, okay, well, where do you get the statistics? Yeah. (laughs) And so I found this entity called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. This is what every single article, bar none, referenced, the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which was the root of all of their data. And they put out this insane 81-page document called the Climate Change Synthesis Report. And they put one of these out every couple of years. Okay. And I saw that and I was like, well, of course I'm going to read it. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, reading material. Okay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so I sifted through that, sifted through some data on the EPA website, and they get a lot of data. 
uh, like when I first went into this, even after teaching environmental science for a few years, even after working for an environmental testing company, I had my doubts, but actually they do, they do the work. Nice. They put in uh, the work. They put in a lot of work to get data. So I'm just going to give you guys a few data points. I'm not going to give you all of them because we would literally be here all night. Like I spent <laughs> reading the 81 page report. So instead of me reading it to you, let's just talk about a couple of numbers because it's not just driving our cars that burns fossil fuels. It's using electricity because using, how do we get electricity? Well, we burn coal and coal is a type of fossil fuel combustion of any kind, whether it's coal, whether it's burning firewood, any type of combustion puts out CO2 and water. So I know some bonfires. (laughs) Me too. How could you Elise? I know. See, it's my fault. I'm doing it. I um, drive. I like bonfires. I like having air conditioning. Oh, yeah. I like using the internet. Yep. Yep. Got that smartphone. Yeah. I just set the whole world on fire. So their data for electricity consumed, they measure it in kilowatt hours. This is basically the amount of power used on a particular electrical grid. Um, and so they relate 4.33 times 10 to the negative four metric tons of CO2 per kilowatt hour of electricity. For perspective, that basically means the average U.S. home uses about 30 kilowatt hours of electricity per day. So that that's not a lot, right? Metric tons sounds like a lot, but yeah. that's not a lot per person. Okay. So Good to know. But we're going to accumulate. Gallons of gasoline consumed. You've got 8.887 times 10 to the negative three metric tons of CO2 per gallon of gasoline. So per gallon, that's actually quite a bit for just one gallon of gasoline. And we're again, we're measuring in metric tons for perspective, approximately 369 million gallons of gasoline are consumed per day. (laughs) In relation to a personal vehicle, this equates to 4.49 metric tons of CO2 emissions per vehicle per year. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Get out your bikes. Just kidding. And <laughs> my husband's not going to like this. Diesel burns differently than standard gasoline. Of course. Yep. Of course. And puts out about twice as much. <laughs> I wondered. Then you've got your barrels of crude oil. Crude oil is refined to produce all kinds of things from petroleum to heating oils, gasoline, jet fuel, even asphalt. So 0.43 metric tons of CO2 per barrel for crude oil. That's quite quite a lot. Propane tanks come out to about 0.02 metric tons of CO2 per cylinder. (laughs) This one's good. Rail cars, because they burn coal. Yep. 181.3 metric tons per rail car. Yeah. Ouch. On the flip side, they also figure out how much humans are contributing to reducing CO2 output by the number of planted trees, which I thought was cool. Yeah. So 0.06 metric tons of CO2 per urban tree planted. So... If you plant enough trees, you can kind of net out your own carbon. There you go. (laughs) 
And 0.57 metric tons of carbon are sequestered per hectare. That's 2.47 acres. Farmers just got to be extra by using hectares right. of trees per year. So, again, not going to go everything, but this is just like so, just a handful of the right. numbers that go into these crazy statistical modelings. Gotcha. That they do every few years, right? Right. Like, right. Yeah. On the flip side, there are things that they leave out that should not be left out. Nuh-uh. I'm no sure way. You're so shocked, though. Nathan said it earlier in the chat. I'm shooketh. Me too. Shooketh. So shooketh. <laughs> okay, so have you heard of the Enso effect, the El Nino and La Nina Southern Oscillation? A little bit. A little bit? But not a ton. Okay. So... Basically, the El Nino Southern Oscillation are these warming and cooling phases. The cooling phase is called La Nina. That, and this is a reoccurring climate pattern across the tropical Pacific. The pattern shifts back and forth irregularly every two to seven years. It can bring predictable shifts in ocean temperature if we can predict when it's going to happen. If... Yes. That's kind of the hard part. Right. Uh, just for reference, right now we are currently experiencing an El Nino event. It's predicted to last through March of 2024. Oh, we'll see because things change all the time. Right. But these changes do have a cascade of global side effects. And they're not accounting for it. Because it doesn't say what they want it to say. That's just my guess. It's not really that so much as, well, your models can only handle so much information. Sure. I think about it, you only have so much you can do with a certain amount of computing power. So when I did physical chemistry research, I would do these models for how much energy a molecule could absorb because I was doing modeling for what types of molecules would be good for solar cells if we could, in theory, make them. And I would get all these crazy molecules that would be awesome. You can't make them because they're good in theory but not good in practice Hmm. because – Life is so much harder than what we model in a black box trying to eliminate real-world interference. Right. It's a lot more nuanced than they can right. compute. Sure. With the advent of supercomputers, I suspect this will change soon. Um, b- but we are just on the cusp of supercomputing and quantum computing I think once it becomes more prevalent, this will be incorporated more into climate analysis data. It's just not now, though. Yeah. Not as much as it should be. And the authors didn't specify if they were just ignoring it as background information. They should if they are. Right. But I didn't see any notes referring that. So that did not sit well with me when I was going through all of that data. And again, I just wanted you guys to know that. Yes. Yes. And ultimately, the climate modeling challenges this. We are relying on large entities for the data, entities like the EPA and the IPCC, national and governing bodies that claim to be working based on real science. But then on the flip side, don't go to the lengths to explain where they're coming from like we are tonight. Right. 
They just say, trust the science, trust it blindly, and anyone investigating climate change for smaller research purposes just recycles the same governing data instead of independently collecting the data for verification. That is not peer review. No, exactly. That's not how that works with anything else. (laughs) With anything else. They're basically creating unfalsifiable claims when so much scientific power is being monopolized by government agencies who all have an agenda. No. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But yes, you're right. It's, um, I don't know, it's just more evidence of... Of what we've been talking about for a long time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but keep going because I'm sucked in now. Okay. And some will say, of course they have an agenda. They want to protect our planet. That's but, what I meant. But do they though? But do let's, they? let's think about some of the proposed solutions to climate change. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you believe climate change is a real thing, whether you think it's just a boogeyman created by scientific bureaucrats, or you think it's a real thing, regardless of your perspective, fossil fuels are a limited resource. Right. Whether it's 100 years from now, 100,000 years from now, a billion years from now, we will run out. So logically speaking, it would be within our best interest to come up with an energy source that will last infinitely that uh, that's just logic if we want to maintain the lifestyle that we currently have for future generations especially if you're someone who believes their earth's never going to end which i don't believe but right if you're one of those people you would want some sort of renewable energy and on paper it's a beautiful proposal How great would it be if we could harness the energy of wind or the sun to power our homes and cities and industry? The problem is our current technology is nothing but a utopian dream, and it's causing more harm than good. Yes. So the first one I want to point out is solar power. Let's take a look at a solar cell. So here's a photo of a solar cell. For those of you who've never seen one, if you're just listening, I'll kind of like describe it for you. It's basically the this panel made up of nine individual cells. One of these little squares is a singular solar cell. It's made of two different types of silicon. It's made of N-type silicon and P-type silicon. This allows for electrons, when excited by light, to jump between the two different types of silicon, carry a charge around the panel, and create electricity just by the movement of electrons. Mm-hmm. So in theory, oh, that that sounds like it should work out pretty well, just thinking on an atomic level, that works out pretty great. We do have a few problems. The efficiency is not good. Most of the light that hits the solar panel is reflected back. It's not actually absorbed. So you end up with a 12 to 20% efficiency rate. If our cars ran at a 12 to 20% efficiency rate, we would not drive them. Right. They would be insufficient, inefficient, (laughs) obviously. But horses would be more reliable. Yes, yes. Your bike, your walking, horses, all of the above would be the mode of transportation. So, our current method for solar cells is not good. Sun is intermittent especially if you live in like 
places like Washington yeah. uh, or Oregon. Northern Michigan. Yeah, northern Michigan. We get no sunshine. In the south during monsoon season. Oh, just sure. Like, it all depends on where you live. They're extremely expensive to create. And they yes. rely on a wide variety of very toxic and very rare metals to create. That you have to <laughs> hurt the environment to get. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, so have you seen those pictures where they put solar cells out in the desert and it's like these really ugly, huge arrays that's just covering up this natural desert? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's absorbing so much of the sunlight there, it actually creates a cooling effect in that area and induces increased rainfall. Huh. Yeah. So it's not deserting as much as it should. Right. <laughs> and of course, it messes with the migratory patterns of birds. So Ecosystem, absolutely. Just on the face of it, solar energy, renewable or not, this is not a good system. Mm -mm. Um, how about wind energy? Wind is good. The wind's always blowing right. It never stops blowing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've never seen how a wind turbine works or you're not sure how just spinning a propeller creates electricity, it's a form of mechanical energy. So the wind turns the turbine, which turns a gearbox, which powers a generator. That generator then sends electricity to the power grid. However, the average wind turbine only has a 15 to 30% capacity factor. So again, still not super efficient. Still not super efficient. And <laughs> go ahead. It only produces electricity if the wind speed is between 8 and 55 miles per hour. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that happens like all the time. Uh-huh. Every day. Every day, all the time. That's a high winds. High winds. Everywhere. They're, they've started talking about these offshore wind farms, like putting them out in the ocean, because that's safe, first of all. <laughs> right. Yeah, the wind's blowing out there, but you just have a hurricane and you knock over a bunch of wind turbines and it's like yeah. over. Yeah. You killed the power in a whole city. They're so ridiculously expensive to make. Oh, my gosh. They're huge. They're, I mean, it's not like the little windmills that you're thinking, you know. Right. Like in the cute little fairy tales with the windmill in the house. and the, It's not. They're massive and expensive right. and heavy. Oh, I get worked up about windmills because I think they're so ridiculous. But They are. And if they did the offshore ones, they'd have to have some sort of transmission line built through the ocean. Because <laughs> having electrical wires in the ocean sounds like a great idea. This is brilliant. Water and electricity, are, they go My hand favorite. in hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. Love it. Okay. So maybe these ones aren't good. But... Surely, electric cars, Elon Musk and the Tesla oh. are going to save us all. The yes. cars are the worst. I mean, we can plug up cow buttholes all day, but just <laughs> buy a Tesla, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's going to save us from ourselves. He's, uh, he's going to save us with the Tesla. Mm -hmm. Let's do a little math, shall we? Let's do it. 
remember, electricity is made by. Do you remember? What fossil fuel we burn to make electricity? Coal. Coal, which is another fossil fuel. So instead of having a gas powered car, you have a coal powered car. I don't know if anybody remembers history. (laughs) The coal mines were not great. They're not great. No. I'm just going to throw that out there. That in and of itself, like coal mining, nobody wants that job. No. Who would, who, what wife says to her husband, yeah, definitely go work in a coal mine, breathe in all that coal dust, get lung cancer and die so I can drive my Tesla. Yes, please. No. Uh, so I there's that. that jokingly. Yeah. So I then know. there's that. That's but the answer. The, the math aspect, 8.93 times 10 to the negative 4 metric tons of CO2 per pound of coal. It takes 50 kilowatts to charge a Tesla. So that leads to 4.47 times 10 to the negative 2 tons of CO2 per electric car. And if we extrapolate that over the course of the year, we get 4.64 metric tons of CO2 per electric car per year. I did sit down and do these numbers. So, holy cow. For comparison, the average car puts out 4.49 metric tons of CO2. There's no difference. No, but it sounds better and it's nicer. I'm going to drive my Nissan Leaf because it has a leaf on it. And so it's definitely (laughs) environmentally friendly. I'm helping the environment. Everybody in the chat's cracking me up. Well, I can't wait till we get to these comments. But like. I am so hyped for the chat. um, Who was it? Hold on. How about those lithium miners? Arvolt was asking. Oh, I'm about to get there. I I, was sure she's getting there. I am here. In fact, (laughs) we are here. Because. (laughs) The vehicle itself is not the only problem. Right. You have to mine for lithium and lanthanum for these compact, high-performance batteries. Neodymium goes into the magnets that are used in the electric m- motors. Guys, minerals are mined in developing nations that do not have proper environmental protecting for mining. And you know why that is? You can't mine for this stuff in America because the EPA exists. If people actually knew what was going on in these communities, oh my gosh, let me show you a picture of a lithium mine, shall I? Okay. I don't want to see it, but I do. Here it is. A nice big old hole in the earth. Wow. Wow. That's just, that's, that's, that's not just a hole. That's a, Oh man, I can't think of a bigger word right now. Like digging to the other side of the earth. That's just yeah. Ridiculous. Honestly, it makes me sick to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awful. These fragmented holes are so bad for the earth as a whole. Like just let's not even think about like all of the wildlife you're hurting or like anything like that, because I know conservatives don't like to think about endangered animals or anything. Let's just think about the people for a second who have to live near these things. Yeah. The erosion of mining sites and upturned soil leads to water contamination. 
This is of course the salt flats. Whoa. That have been changed colors because of the lithium mining in this area. Uh, this is Chile's Atacama salt flats, the mining contaminants and diverted scarce water resources have all been contaminated for these local communities. Wow. Lithium is extracted in this area by pumping brine into ponds and processing the lithium salts that crystallize once the water has evaporated. They are intentionally poisoning their own water to extract the lithium from these areas. That is awful. Mining strategies also pump acids into the ground because acids are great for extracting metals. And this can also contaminate drinking water. I don't know if you guys can see, but this is deeper inside one of these mines. This uh, pool of red water. Oh, that's inside. water. That's water. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> and guys, this is happening in developing countries because we can't bear to look at it. Right. Out of sight, out of mind. We don't out of sight, out of mind. But it's for the planet, right? They're doing it to protect us, right? They're killing millions of people and putting them into slavery for the planet, right? Right. Oh. It makes me sick. It makes you sick to your stomach. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, this was a protest that was going on uh, at a lithium mine in, by the Lichu River in Kongding, China. Because the lithium mines had killed all of the fish in the Lichu River, made the water completely undrinkable. Wow. I mean. <clears throat> and, it, like, even if they stopped today. Right. Like, let's just say, for the sake of argument for a moment, they stopped now. No more of this. Right. How long can we, how long does it take to come back? Can it come back? You know right. what I mean? from this sort of damage. I mean, the earth, God has made the earth remarkable in that it, I want to say it like heals itself, but it can balance itself out. But this is huge. This is a lot of damage. I wish I could say I was done, but I'm not. I know. Um, cobalt is another big one. Uh, I, I've never given a content warning. I don't think on this show before. Um, but what they're doing in these cobalt mining camps, I will call them camps because they use child labor. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I have to show this image yeah. just so you know, if you buy an electric car, this is where they're getting the cobalt to power it off the backs of these children. Yeah. And I, I hate getting super serious like this. When I taught environmental science, I made sure my students watched this documentary called The Toxic Cost of Going Green. It is a documentary that people don't want you to see, certain people, I'm sure. Um, it's kind of buried under the rug. Amazingly, it's still on YouTube, so I'm going to share the link with you. I encourage everybody to go watch it. Yeah. And it's not super long. 
maybe we should do a watch party of it, but it's not a fun watch, but right. I do think everybody should see it. And it te- it shows you the dark secret behind the reality of scarce metal mining. Wow. Yep. It's yeah. It, it not only is it hard to look at, but you look at mm, to think of all the conveniences we have. Yeah. Just because these children, like without off of their labor and their sacrifice, and oh my right. gosh, yeah. Just like thinking about where my clothes come from, yeah, upsets me. But just like knowing that's where rare earth metals come from, it's not just electric cars. They're no. in your iPhone. They're in your computer. Yep. Whether you intend it or not, you are using the materials that is mined by these children. And if you do watch the documentary, you will see some tragic things. That the exposure to these metals is more than just like bad health problems then and there. It's birth defects. It's uh, it's just it's so terrible the conditions they have to live in and people will be like well why don't they just leave or go somewhere else they can't no <laughs> god what it's a terrible naive answer yeah it's not an option <laughs> it's not no and so when the left comes at us with those emotionally manipulative claims saying, you're going to kill the planet, you're going to kill us all, I just encourage them to look at their solution. Look yeah. at what they're, what they're currently enacting to, air quote, save us. Those people aren't being saved from anything. No. No. And are their lives less important? I don't think so. We are all uniquely created in the image of God. We were called to be stewards of this planet. And in the name of saving the planet, we are destroying it to save it. How does that check out? How does that square that circle? It doesn't. Sorry about that, guys. It just, it upsets me so much uh, when they come at us with these solutions. And then here's the thing. When you, you guys are going to hate this even more. When you sit down and look at the data they're actually collecting that we talked about, the temperature data, they're getting it not from standing out in the farm fields around nothing else collecting the data. They are getting it. Based off of the heat island effect. Have you heard of the heat island effect before? Mm -mm. So the heat island effect is something that is observed in urban areas. Urban areas typically experience higher temperatures because buildings, roads, and other big infrastructure absorb that sunlight and re-emit it more so than natural landscape. So that's why you see this big push for urban areas to have green spaces because the heat island effect is causing temperatures in cities to increase, guess by how much? Five degrees. Two to five degrees. (laughs) How'd I know? How did you know? How'd I know? Not like you said it in the beginning. Goodness. Um. 
our friends over at Conspiracy Pilled shared this TikTok with us, and I chased down the data for it. I encourage you guys to chase down the data on your own. If I went and went through the data with you guys again, we'd be here all night. It's legit. <laughs> it's legit. So I'm going to show you the video because I think it's uh, important. Yeah. Chris, this world is being watched closely. As human beings busy themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro of the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law governs the conduct of nations. When we are six. So for those of you who are just listening and just hear like this crazy music in the background, the video says, ever wondered how they're manipulating climate data by strategically placing the majority of temperature sensors near asphalt runways at airports. And this guy is manually going through and looking at where the climate data probes are. And he does find that they're near roads, airports, and cities. You can pull this map up for yourself and find it to be true. Mm-hmm. See, before when you were talking about it, this is how naive I can be. I'm just assuming that they're going and taking data from all sorts of different climates, different places, you know what I mean? The woods and the, right. near the ocean and near this and near that, like up on a mountaintop. And I'm thinking all these different magical places i know right <laughs> yeah but uh wow that's i'm so glad you asked the question <laughs> don't take any of it for granted don't take it for granted um because on the surface you can tell they're putting in a lot of work on the surface the question is honorable are are we hurting our own planet are we hurting the planet that god charged us with yes. we are called to be stewards of the planet, right? We are called to treat it well because we have to live here every single day. This is where we get all our resources. This is how God is providing for us through the natural systems that he created. So just like you should clean your room, as Jordan Peterson would say, you should clean your planet. But then their solutions hurt the planet if not worse right. than the fossil fuels themselves just by natural warming. And then they falsify the data they are collecting by intentionally utilizing the heat island effect wow. for their temperature data. Yep. Yeah. Like I shouldn't be surprised. And I I'm know. not surprised, but it's also just like infuriating. What gets me is that you me, you're the bad guy because you drive a car, not the Tesla. Right. You're a bad guy for having a bonfire in your backyard or raising cows or all of these things. And it's like the manipulation, the emotional manipulation. Yeah. Again, not a surprise, but it's just still so aggravating when the real uh, victims and the real problem 
we can't look at, we won't talk about, we won't show you. These children, these families, these people are suffering. They have no choice. They have no options. But you're the bad guy, and we're going to point at you. You're not driving a hybrid even? What is right? You know, you're rotten, awful, and ruining the earth. It's not us over here taking advantage of these families and people and... And so you can, so, right. So we can have all these conveniences still, your, still your fault. Yep. Still my fault. I saw someone mention in the chat. Now we have something called clean coal, um, which is true. We do have clean coal, but the numbers I read off to you guys are with clean coal. Could mm. you imagine what the numbers would be if it was coal that had not been previously processed or m- done in a industrial factory where they're not intentionally capturing the CO2. So yeah, all of the methods that they're currently using are not good. And it's not like there aren't real alternatives to this problem, which I will now go through. Yay! Solutions. Solutions. <laughs> because there are real solutions. Let's first talk about iron fertilization. This is also known as ocean seeding. So I'll pull up a cool little picture of ocean seeding. Looks like this. So the whole ocean derives a great deal of its nutrients and its energy from something called phytoplankton phytoplankton. Boy, if I could talk today. They're these microscopic marine algae. They're the base of the marine food chain and play a huge, huge role in the carbon cycle because they are the primary source of photosynthesis in the ocean. In order to function, however, they require micronutrients just like you and I do, like iron. That uh, We need iron to function. Right. So right. are we surprised that phytoplankton need iron? They depend on the natural fertilization of iron-rich winds and upwelling currents that have been going on basically since God created the earth. It's like he made these cycles for a reason. Weird. One of the acclaimed problems of climate change is that with warmer temperatures, wind patterns will change and it'll become harder for warmer and cooler layers of the ocean water to mix, which basically, like we see in this picture, would keep the iron separate from the phytoplankton in all layers of the ocean, both in the warmer layers and the cooler, deeper layers. What if humans could fertilize the oceans themselves, much like how we fertilize our agricultural fields? Hmm. Hmm. It can't be done. (laughs) <laughs> Certainly it can't be done. Otherwise no. they'd be doing it. Right. No a simple solution. <laughs> uh, oh, there's a, something called the ocean seeding project. Researchers added iron dust to an area of the ocean that was part of the migratory route of juvenile salmon. Uh, and one year later, mainland rivers experienced one of the largest salmon returns in history. Nice. And they're coming back because you guessed it, there's more phytoplankton. Weird. <laughs> Weird. So by seeding the ocean with iron dust in strategic locations, scientists can promote the growth of phytoplankton. Ah. And bring so bring back the salmon. Bring back the salmon, bring back all kinds of fish. Yes. Because like one of their concerns was that the 
temperatures would change, the sea levels would rise, all of the fish would die off because the temperature of the water is outside of their range of tolerance, which is a legitimate concern. Yeah. Um, But now we don't have to worry about that if we just put a little extra iron in the ocean. Hmm. No more anemic ocean. No more anemic ocean. More phytoplankton takes more CO2 out of the air and returns it to the carbon cycle. So why aren't they doing it? Right. Hmm. There's a little bit of a controversy behind this, which Hmm. I am going to say for the after show. Because it all deals with a guy named Russ George, who you're not supposed to talk about. Gotcha. Um, So we will save that for the after show because I want to give our listeners a reason to come over to Rumble and hear the good stuff on the other side. Not that this whole episode hasn't been the good stuff, but if you want maybe a little quacky stuff. Yay. I like when we get quacky. Me too. (laughs) So... Iron fertilization seems like an easy alternative, right? Because that would just take away some of the problem. Not a permanent fix, right? Right. But it it could help, help alleviate some of the problem. Then there's my favorite molecule in the whole world, graphene. Yay! Yay! I want to do a whole episode on graphene one day. I will. I'm not going to do it right now. (laughs) <laughs> because it does deserve its own moment in the spotlight. Ready, set, go. No. <laughs> yeah. It, it really would be its whole own episode. So I'm oh, just yeah. going to talk about how it specifically relates to us in this instance. So if you don't know what graphene is, graphene is a carbon allotrope that is formed in a single layer, a monolayer of carbon atoms and is tightly bound in this hexagonal honeycomb lattice that you guys see here. Uh, And it is the lightest, strongest, thinnest, best thermally and electrically conducting material in existence. Uh, It's hard to synthesize now because we're learning about it. It's so new. Hmm. Uh, It's not like the graphite in the lead tip of your pencil. Actually, if you think about the graphite in your pencil, you kind of deposit your own monolayer. So what if there could be a monolayer like that that was stronger, thicker, more malleable? That's graphene. And graphene is so cool, and you can do so many things with it, but guess what it's made of? What? Carbon! Carbon! Like the carbon that's in carbon dioxide. What? One in the same. One in the same. So what if researchers had a way to use that carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, kind of like plants do? Plants take carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and Mm -hmm. chemically turn it into glucose. What if we could turn it, take it from the atmosphere and turn it into graphene? What? Something useful? Something useful. uh, You know, useful. Cool. It is cool. Uh, This is a burgeoning area of research. It's so new. It's so cool, guys. I get like so hyped about it. Right now, one of the leading uh, researchers are using a metal-based enzyme that is termed Rubisco. That is ribulose 1,5-biphosphate carboxylase oxygenase. Try saying that 10 times fast. Um, Say it once. (laughs) I know, right? It's basically (laughs) this crazy metal-based enzyme that you see pictured here. Looks like a bunch of ribbons. Yeah. 
Uh, and they can basically use this to absorb carbon dioxide from the air and make it usable to make graphene. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. That is really cool. That oh, I like this a lot. Okay, first, I have to point this out before we lose it. Arvolt just said, Jess needs to get Ian Crossland from TimCast on to discuss graphene. Uh, for Arvolt- Were you listening to us talking earlier? <laughs> Our vote from your mouth to God's ears to <laughs> Ian Crossland's ears. Like, I would love to have him on the show one day. Life goals. Hashtag life goals. <laughs> I just think that's too funny. That Literally. Too funny. <laughs> we were talking about that before the show. That's He's just funny. on top of it all tonight. That's right. <laughs> you guys are the best. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but this newer direction of research is hugely promising. And... If it is, as I and many chemists predict, that graphene will be as revolutionary as steel was to industry, we will actually need more atmospheric carbon dioxide. So instead of having a warming problem, we're going to have a cooling problem. (laughs) The world's getting too cold. (laughs) Stop making graphene. That's amazing. And you don't hear about that. Again, I know it's newer. Right. I'm glad that this is being... Like, I'm glad it's not shut down. <laughs> yeah. Being developed. Like what still. they did with iron fertilization. Yes, exactly. Ugh. Knock on wood. Uh, yeah, knock on wood. Don't let them hear. Yeah. But it's like, why not sink your government dollars into that? Stop funding these lithium mines. Fund research into graphene. Right. Something actually beneficial. Right. Weird. I know. The last one I'm going to mention is stratospheric aerosol injection. We talked about volcanoes earlier. Excuse me. Uh, And how volcanoes basically erupt and put these teeny tiny particulates less than 10 microns in the atmosphere. And those tiny particulates reflect light back out. What if we could put aerosols into the atmosphere also reflects light back out. What if? What if? <laughs> can we? Do we? We have can. We tried it. Uh, we d- well, people have tried it. The only, <laughs> uh, only downside. I say the only downside. It's it's kind of like a legitimate downside. So, so just like kind of take this with a grain of salt. The particulates they're talking about ejecting are sulfur dioxide. When sulfur dioxide combines with water, it makes sulfuric acid. Yes. Which is an acid. Yes. Which causes acid rain. (laughs) Right. So, there's that. There might be a problem. I don't know. Yikes. (laughs) That might hurt. Uh, But... Yeah, so this is kind of, if you don't know what acid rain does, this is a forest that was attacked by a lot of acid rain. Uh, It basically strips it of its leaves, its nutrients. It's not good. It's not a good thing. Owie. But the principle is there, reflecting light back out with aerosol. So what if we could develop an aerosol that didn't create acid rain? What if we developed a reflection technique that was outside the atmosphere that reflected sunlight before it ever touched our atmosphere, perhaps in space? Huh. With, with like reflecting dishes with like reflecting dishes like 
satellites or something else floating around. Yeah. Maybe helpful, beneficial. We don't have anything like that. No. I don't know. That just seems like. Right. Duh. Like duh. <laughs> like duh. That's like. Uh, yeah. So that mind. dish is called the solar inversion dish. It's like, why don't we have some of those floating out there to kind of help? That it just seems so simple. Not it's not simple to get it up there, but I just mean like you think about how photographers use light and then I don't know if you've ever worked with a photographer or like just been around when someone's getting photographed. They're like, Can you hold this? Right. So it reflects yes. like things like what if we just shoved one of those up there? Right. Or a few. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I do. So we don't have anything like that. Not as far as I could find. Right. It's an idea. Yeah, it's an idea. But we're not pursuing that because that right. would be logical. So here's the thing. We have real solutions on the table. But our, our elites are not pursuing them. Science is not pursuing them with the vigor that they are pursuing these other methods that are very harmful and very deadly, not to, only to the earth, but to the people who live on it. Right. Right. It's almost like they don't actually want a solution. Hmm. It's almost like it's easier to teach people that we should be afraid that the earth is going to revolt against us and kill us. And that perhaps we should worship the earth instead of just taking care of it. Perhaps it's a way to control people instead control the food supply stop eating meat because of the cow farts eat this <laughs> lab grown meat instead yes stop having babies because then you'll drive cars live in our 15 minute cities because then you won't <sighs> live far apart and you won't drive anywhere live under our thumb and then you won't hurt the planet right do what i say and the world won't end yes the fear-mongering technique to control everything. Mm. Yep. And haven't seen that before. <laughs> and this is the thing that ultimately gets me about the whole problem. The left, of course, is going about this the whole wrong way. Because they're not necessarily interested in actually helping the planet. They're interested in helping themselves. But the right who claims to care about people is also not helping the planet by saying, go out in your backyard and burn tires. <laughs> they're also just helping themselves by saying, ignore climate, saying, ignore climate change doesn't do anything because the premise is there. The kernel of truth is there. It is good. We do have possible solutions, but nobody's pursuing them because nobody left or right is actually interested in preserving the earth, preserving what God has given us. Yeah, I think that's part of the tactic, too, if you will, not to get too crazy with it. But it's like if one side is going to be an extreme. Yeah. The other side is going to be an extreme, and that's also a win. Either way, if you either way, 
So I feel like I preach this all the time. I'm a broken record. Forgive me. More often than not, like these two extremes, when you find like the, I'm not a middle person, really I'm not. But at this, but when you're looking at these two extremes and you're like, okay, there's a kernel of truth in that climate change is something that we need to be concerned with. There's also a kernel of truth that it's gone way too far. And what, you know, could we just, could we just make sense? Could we just think about things? Can we just make it make sense and think about things logically, please? Could we actually think about things logically without endangering the life of other humans with actually caring about what happens to people in third world countries instead of relying on them for our materials could we maybe try solutions at home and stop being a country that is dominated by entertainment maybe be a country that's dominated by innovation again yeah one of the best things i saw this week was this was homecoming week at school this week and our theme was the great american road trip you never hear a school that like praises america again i saw kids running around in red white and blue all week it was Oh, I could cry. It was so beautiful. (laughs) But then I think about what our country represents now. And now it's so much division, so much anger, and so much of just like bickering back and forth. And maybe it was always that. Maybe we just had rose-colored glasses about our past. I feel like the 90s were pretty good myself. It was a fun time. Right? (laughs) It was. But... There was a period in American history when America was the pioneer of innovation. You came here because this is where things were being made. This Mm -hmm. is where discovery was happening. And it's just not it anymore. Not like it was back then because we've outsourced discovery to other countries. There's too much bureaucratic tape involved here for a reason because there was a lot of bad things that were happening underneath the surface. But now we just outsource the bad things to people who don't know any better. Yeah. And that's and we wrong. We don't have to look at it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's wrong. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs and we need to take back a lot of that. Yeah. The, but that also means you have to take back the consequences and the responsibility for those things that's too. That's right. And not everybody wants to do that. (laughs) I love my cheap goods on Amazon just as much as everybody else. But perhaps if we learned how to care for ourselves more, I think at the end of our last episode, we got on this whole tangent about like homesteading and like having our own gardens, like be resourceful, learn to care for yourself. Don't just door dash everything to your front porch, you know? Yeah. You lose something when you don't have to fix it. Like, oh, it's broken. I can just go get another one. Oh, it's, you know, I don't need to know how to fix it. I can get something else. Like, it's so cheap because we don't make it. Like you said, it's outsourced, things like that. So the innovation's gone there, even in our daily lives of like, this tool isn't working. I'll just get another one instead of like, how can I make this make sense? Um little side note, like my dad has a turkey farm and my brother, my youngest brother is learning how to 
uh, work the farm and do all the things. And that is so cool. It is really cool. And it's so funny because when something breaks or something isn't working, you know, he's got all these solutions. And my dad is also like a very old school farmer. So he's like, no, like you go to the barn first and you, and you see what you got and you make it work. And he's like, he'll get there. We just have to do this more. And I'm like, yeah, but it's something that's kind of lost in generations, I think. Yeah. That's unfortunate. We live in a generation of convenience, and that's not to say I didn't grow up in a generation of convenience. Oh, yeah. I same. did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know the value of hard work, of things that are made well, of taking care of things and making them last. And I think the generation that's coming up behind us doesn't have that. And I feel like the left is trying to get us into a place like that, but they're doing it the wrong way. They're doing it from a seed of anger and a seed of screaming that the planet's going to die. Right. And I wish the right would look at conservatism and say, yeah, conservatism means something. It means to conserve. Yeah. Conservation is not a leftist thing. It is the thing that we were charged with by God. And I know I keep cycling back to this, but it just like sits with me ill because I listen to these mainstream conservative podcasts who I love, you know, they say lots of good things, but they also like ignore this thing that I think is very important. We get into this place of overreaction, like you were talking about, that we almost react too strongly to the left's overreaction. Right. Right. Um. I think Jelly asked in the chat that she's never heard anyone say, go burn tires in my backyard. I actually heard uh, someone on a conservative podcast who I won't name um, because I respect them say that. And I'm sure part of it was like kind of joking, but there's like, again, a kernel of truth in that. That's like, just ignore what the left is saying. They're not serious. You should not take them seriously. Just live your life however you want. And God doesn't call us to do that either. God calls us to be thoughtful in our actions, thoughtful in how we live, and thoughtful for how we take care of this planet. We should take care of it. Should we worship it? No. You have to be careful. Stewardship is not worship. Right. It is. It is. You're in control and stewardship. I mean, you're not worshiping the thing. You're caring for the thing. There is a big difference. Uh, And to uh, counteract what you're saying, not counteract, but to add to what you were saying earlier, darn it. And I lost it. I hate when I'm I so sorry. do that. No, it's not you. It was me. I hate when I do that, but it was something along the lines of um, like the burning the time. Oh, okay. So I do also understand the, the, like, we saw that TikTok and you can see how they have just skewed all of the yeah. data. So I'm not excusing like anything but at the same time, it's like, I can understand why you just dismiss what they're saying because oh, yeah. when you do your own research and you see them skew the data like that, you're like, I can't take anything you say seriously. And someone like me, for example, who doesn't understand the environmental science as well as you do, it is easier to be like, yeah. eh, it's all just, it's all a bunch of BS. And it's like, right. okay, not all of it is crap. <laughs> right. So again, it's just uh, like, I can see not necessarily going in my backyard and burning tires, <laughs> but. Right. I understand the impulse. You're right. Because the left does over, 
react, right? They mm-hmm. make things up to prove a point when they, they actually don't have to make things up to prove a point. I think the logic yeah. that we're making more CO2, we're taking it out of the carbon cycle and injecting it into the atmosphere. It, it's there. The logic is there to say it's going to kill us tomorrow. That's not true. Logically, that since the 70s, so. Right. Yeah. And it hasn't happened yet, though yeah. I heard the world's supposed to end tomorrow. So who knows? That's right. <laughs> this might all be a moot point anyway. Right. <laughs> we might all be gone tomorrow. That's what, and if not, then October 4th or, so, I don't know. Right. Sounds like this year. Jesus is going to come back at some point anyway. Yes, However, that doesn't mean we should go out and live life as decadently as we want. No. No. That's always the thing with Christianity, too. And that's always a question, you know, like, if I'm forgiven, then why wouldn't I, you know, if God's going to forgive me and love me anyway, why wouldn't I just live my life how I want to? And it's like, that's not how you have a relationship. That's not how, you know, there's so many things to that. But it's, can kind of plug that narrative into this situation as well. Like, wow. Jesus is coming back. And he is. I don't know when. I'm not saying right. it's tomorrow. <laughs> Could be in 10 minutes. Who knows? I wish it was in 10 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> That'd be so fun on stream to get raptured. I don't know. This is just <laughs> Where'd they go? And then like the stream would never end because I never hit end broadcast. And so this <laughs> would just like go on and on and on. Right, right. Forever. Right. But <laughs> yeah. But it's a it's a very narrow minded, short sighted type of view. You yeah. live like there's no tomorrow, but you how does that go? It's kinda like uh, uh live like you're I don't know. Plan for the long term. Yeah. Like you know what I'm li- saying. Live live in the present, right? Yes. Live yes. fully in the present. Yes. Don't take today for granted. Trust God. You know, that's yes. what it all comes down to. But don't plan so hard that your ideas of the future become immovable and that you're inflexible to change. Because I'll tell you from experience, God looks at your plans and he just laughs. Yes. He thinks you're so funny having plans. You so funny. Oh, you guys are funny. That's he, cute. He's done that to me my whole life. Yeah, right. But his plans are so much better than my plans. So right. much better than I could have ever planned for myself. Yes. Yes. And so I'm glad he laughs at my plans. And me too. Glad he has a sense of humor. Me too. I'll say that forever. Uh yeah, that's. I know it was a heavy episode. My, no, it's good. Oh, that's my point, though. Yeah. Yes, it was, but at the same time, again, the point at the end of all of this is God is in control, even when things are uh, crazy, spinning out of control. Okay, I was listening. Side tangent. I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Do it. I was listening to a podcast or something, and somebody was talking about Daniel and how um, God handed over. Judah, the Israelites, all of them to the enemies. And it's like, that was all his plan. That was all his timing. Had to have felt like the world was coming to an end. Had to have been devastating and awful. And yet, 
that God never lost track or never let go of any of that. Like he was right. still in control of all of that. It's still the same today. Like, yes, we have a responsibility to respect and cherish the things God has given us, like this earth and this planet, uh, and to be stewards. But even when it gets dark and dreary, Right. We do need to look at it. We do need to face it. We do need to know what the reality is. And also at the same time, understand that he's in control too. So it's a weird balancing act. Yeah. But it's also hope. It is. There, yeah. There is hope because God is in control and we're not. I, I just take like so Thank much goodness. joy in that because if I was in control, we'd all be doomed. <laughs> yeah. My life wouldn't be so good. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there you have it. The climate real truth change. about climate change. Oh the real gosh. truth. Look at it. it. It's more complicated than yes. I think people clicked on this video for. I'm sure many people clicked on this and expected either me to debunk it or to prove it to be true. And it's kind of neither. And it's kind of both. Right. So you're welcome. So you're welcome. <laughs> we never have like answers, answers. We just have like, I actually Here, look do at this. think there is an answer for this one. Yeah. It's don't, oh. <laughs> don't throw yes. your trash out of your window in your car. Don't buy the Nissan Leaf. <laughs> Maybe take a walk every now and then instead yes. of driving. Plant a tree. Plant a tree. Throw some iron in the ocean. Yeah. Not like solid blocks of iron, like microscopic particles of iron. And just like spread the word, you know. Yes. Share this podcast around. Let people know that there's more to this than meets the eye. Yeah. There's more underneath the surface of what either side is telling you. Right. So think about it. Share it. Yeah. Ponder. And let us know your thoughts. Did you enjoy this episode? Yeah. Even though it was a little bit heavy, yeah. let us know your thoughts in the comments. Leave us a five-star review, and we'll read it live on the show next time. What have we got coming up next week, Elise? Yay! Next week, I'm going to talk about the rest of the ancient wonders of the world, yeah. uh, which are only two left. <laughs> we got through five. Uh, what we have are the Hanging Gardens. And it's kind of like, did they exist? If they did, where were they? I don't know. Uh, and the Pyramid of Giza. So, more that we don't know. I love it. And some that we do. And it's going to be it's gonna be fun. I feel like those two needed their own time because there's a lot we're going to talk about. So, That's I can't it. wait to dig into that more. Dig in. Ah. <laughs> but if you are on Rumble, stick around. We're going to go look at your memes. We're going to chat. I'm going to show you that video. That we're not supposed And we'll, if you guys are listening, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you guys. You are amazing. Stay quirky. And we'll Have see you next night. time.